Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear, QA podcast episode 294. <laughs> the two looked like a seven, I thought it was 794. Lee, Lee, Lee Seppel, Seppelton says, Phil, are materials inferior on the Mexican strats versus the USA? Materials, interesting uh, question right there. I love it, that's why I picked it. So first of all, we have to talk about the fact that there are different versions of the Made in Mexico strats, just like Made in USA strats over the years. And so you have to find, there's a 2010 like cutoff on the Made in Mexico strat, maybe a little earlier than that, where they changed some of the stuff. So previous to that cutoff year, and I could be wrong, but I thought it was 2010, uh, you know, the fret wire was smaller on the old uh, standard Made in Mexico's and the new ones, of course, are more like the medium jumbo flat, uh, wire that you will see on the USA ones in, in, the, in the way it feels. But we're here. You're talking about materials. One thing I can tell you is is that the quality of the woods are about the same. Sometimes you're going to have more piece bodies than on the main Mexicos than you do the USA ones. That's a really hard argument that everybody has. You know, this whole um, does one piece of wood sound better than two than it does the three that it does the five. I have no idea, none. I don't even know or want to be in that argument. Um, I, I just don't, I don't care. <laughs> that's why, that's why it's hard. It's the hardest, ar the hardest argument to have is one you don't care about. I don't care. Like for instance, under any of these expensive guitars, uh, that I'm pointing at right now, if underneath that paint was a five piece mahogany body, I wouldn't care. I mean, you know, I'd question why it costs so much if they couldn't use a bigger piece of wood. But usually to me, there's a, there's a, there's a difference between, you know, it's it's expensive, so obviously it should have more th things in it that are expensive, like obviously using a bigger piece of wood than a, a bunch of smaller pieces of wood glued together. Of course, it's more expensive to use a bigger piece of wood, so of course it's gonna be cost, cost more. So I don't really wanna see a expensive guitar with a multi-piece body, but I really don't care. Like I said, um, the argument, of course, for some of you is, that may not know, because you may have sanity, and <laughs> uh, is that, you know, hey, the, the vibrations tr don't transfer through glue the same way they do through wood. <laughs> I'm like, those are all great arguments in the acoustic world, but in a solid body world, I just, I just can't get there. So if you tell me that the main Mexico guitar is subpar in the body because it's a three-piece body or a four-piece or, a, you know, versus versus the main USA two-piece body, I just can't get there. You know what I mean? If you tell me that it's cheaper, yeah, it's cheaper. Cheaper meaning less expensive to manufacture to do. Yeah, of course, you could take such, you know, right? I mean, think of this as, you know, it makes total sense. I mean, obviously you use sawdust and glue that together, make particle board, that's even cheaper, right? That's a lot of pieces of wood if you think about it. <laughs> so yeah, a three-piece body, four-piece body of wood, it's less expensive, So and that's reflected in the price. But in the quality, like on stage, to be like, man, this doesn't ring through like the other ones. I don't know if I'm there with that. Um, and if it does matter, like I always say, it's the percentage game. How much percentage is it different? It's going to be small and I can compensate with some pickups or the amp or whatever. Um, so, so like I said, so when you, when you ask the question, you know, are there less quality components in the main Mexico guitar? Not really. I mean, think about this. They used to be, the, the main Mexico's used to have American made switches and potentiometers in them. They don't anymore. They have made Mexico potentiometers, and I think the switch is also made in America, but it, our main USA, our Mexico, but it might be made in USA now. I don't remember what the, but I can tell you this: the electronics there in the USA ones are the same ones as the Mexico ones now. So, 
it's not, it's just not there. Like I said, Fender really specifically, it's attention to detail. The US ones, US ones get, and I like this. I've been to so many factories and the way the factories explain it is the best way I've heard it ever, which is the more expensive guitars have more hands on them, right? I want to think about, think about it this way. And this is such a pragmatic way to look at this. Let's say a guitar takes 16 hours to manufacture, right? I'm just throwing out a generic number, but I just want a generic number. What if I told you an expensive guitar uh, has nine hours of hand time, a person working on it, and uh, seven hours of machine time, and there was CNCs and, and what have you. And an inexpensive guitar is the opposite of that, or maybe even has 10 hours machine time and only six hours hand time. That's basically what I've, what I've learned uh, going to the factories. The hand time costs the most, and because it's slower, it's, uh, it varies in quality because it's human. And so more expensive guitars tend to have more hand time on them. That's the best, most generic way to think of that. So obviously the first thing that's going to differentiate a main USA guitar from a main Mexico guitar is that one factor. Same thing with the, the custom shop guitars and so on and so on, right? It's more personal time with the instrument, uh, whether the time spent with the setup part of it or what have you. So I don't really kind of I don't really think so. You know, there are some, there are some more basic things. Like obviously sometimes the blocks in the bridge are less, are different. You know, one's more of a cast block of, you know, just generic metal. <laughs> and the other one's like a brass block on some guitars. There are things like that, but overall quality materials, um, are not hugely different in the two guitars. They are just minorly different. All right. Uh, let's see. Brian says, not always though. My Fano was made by one luthier start to finish. I don't know. I've never been to Fano. They invited me to the shop and then I didn't get, they didn't, they didn't invite. It's like they invited me, but then they didn't follow through and I followed through. Um, so I don't know. I've never been there shop. So I don't know if they're all hand time on their guitars. I don't know if they CNC out the parts, parts or whatever. Uh, you know, if they CNC, if they CNC the bodies and then assemble them or how they do it. I don't know anything about it. I'd be really shocked if they are using a pin router, but they could be, right? But even then, that's not hand time. That's still a machine. It's just a hand guiding the machine, but it's not like a controlled CNC machine. So, you know, I don't find that to be better. <laughs> That's just so we're all on the same page. There's no argument I have that the more hand time on building the guitar is better. I think a machine should build the guitar and then hand, you use your the, the, the skilled labor of hand workmanship to basically fine tune it, you know, uh, sand certain parts, polish certain parts, you know, basically do the detail work and get that out. But the core of the guitar can be done uh, faster. Here's why I say that again, uh, watching factories. Uh, one thing that's nice is there's a couple benefits. that's really important to acknowledge when you talk about the CNC machine and building guitars. Yes. It's not just cause it does it exact every time. That's, that's a benefit. The other benefit is that obviously there's less, uh, people getting hurt, right? The machines are doing the work. You're not worrying about somebody losing a finger or hurting themselves, less workman comp issues, less costs. Also, because the machine can run consistently all the time, it it can basically uh, uh, cut down the cost because it's more efficient, making more bodies and necks. 
But the last thing, the thing that adds to the quality more than anything else is, is that what I have watched personally over many years, over many factories and many shops is, I have noticed one of the big differences between the more mass produced style of building versus the more hands-on style building is, when there is a defect in a guitar in a mass produced shop like Fender, I have watched them just discard it. Um, I hear it all the time that people say like, oh, the Relic Fender guitars are just the one they messed up. That's absolutely not true. They do not do that at all. I wish they would. It seems to make more sense. It makes more sense that if you had a Fender guitar Strat body and it got chipped by the router, that you would literally uh, just turn that into a Relic guitar. That's not what they do. They throw them in a bin. I actually have pictures that I was told not to disclose with people of when I was in the Fender factory where pictures of Wolfgang bodies and, and Fender bodies that were being thrown in these bins that will then at the end of the day be thrown in the trash because, and one of them, like, I would have, we were like trying to get them to give us this Wolfgang body because it was like, it looked perfect to us. There was just one minor flaw. Um, so my point to that is, is that in the heavy, more mass produced concept, one thing I notice is that when there's a problem, they discard it and they start fresh because it's cheaper to make another one than discard it. Now that goes against one of my principles, which is I don't like things thrown away, right? I like to fix things. So I wish there was a way to, to kind of have that both that both the ability to obviously make sure that those defective things don't get to the public, but also not throw them away. What I have t can tell you is that when you look at a, a, not only a smaller shop, but a shop that's more hands-on, they spend more time fixing a problem. So I see it all the time. There's guitars that you get that are expensive that if you were to count the hours of time on the guitar, a lot of those hours are in the fixing of a flaw because uh, they got to get it out because it's cheaper and faster to fix an issue than it is to start from scratch because obviously that that human time is so expensive and valuable so just there's just takes on it and again i try not to i not, try not to end with the this is the better way and this is the you know worst way or whatever it's more of a just my observations of the ways um but that's what i'm saying is like it's funny i don't know know if what how i deeply feel if one's better than the other but i can tell you it seems like it seems like it always feels like the opposite. In other words, you kind of feel like the high-end guitars are more perfect, and I find these probably, they have more flaws, but they've been hidden by somebody reworking it, where some of the mass-produced ones, you tend to get a more of a perfect, uh, perfect guitar because of the fact that they can just start again. So. Uh, let's see. Okay, hold on a second. Oh, <laughs> Ring Zane something says, eh, still better than running a bulldozer over them. Yep, still one of the worst things I've still seen to the, in, in, in my entire life of guitar stuff was watching the bulldozer run over those Gibson guitars. So worst idea ever to not only run over all those guitars with a bulldozer, but still to this day, film it, film it. I loved it when I saw... There was a bunch of YouTube channels that were trying to defend the idea uh, logically by saying, you know, oh, this is typical of all companies. And I'm like, yeah, here's the problem, though. You know, we get it. Samsung runs over all the old phones. Uh, you know, Amazon's throwing away uh, pallets and pallets of good product in the trash. That's horrible. Equally so. But watching a video of it is way worse. <laughs>
because it's so, like I said, it's so emotional, you know, watching that video and the audio. You know, I don't think people gave credit to the really, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's really crazy. Some of you guys right now know what we're talking about. You can just Google search it. It's uh, like Gibson bulldozer guitars or something like that will come up. Uh, Gibson a few years ago had a bunch of guitars that were not defective. They just weren't they were just a really bad selling model that didn't do well and it had some a, 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 some tech in it that wasn't working out. And so they had uh, somebody take a bulldozer and run them all over. And then they asked the employees to film it so that there was proof that they were destroyed. And the worst thing in the video to this day is not the video, it's the audio. It's the hearing the crunching of those guitars. It's just, it was just, it was watching, it was like watching a horror movie. It was so bad. So there you go. <laughs> you got now you guys are like, yes oh thank you brian put the link so now you guys can go watch that and go what the hell yeah not their best moment for sure um so all right uh okay all right we got more questions let's do questions topics questions things fun and i'm having trouble finding them because they're right there All right, we have the Panda. He says, which fretboard radius gauges are better to get, understring or overstring, looking to do setups, possible refretting? Uh, so my favorite, favorite radius gauges by far, and I have all of them, and uh, I only use two, two, two different types. I use the under saddle, under saddle uh, radius gauge, and I have the original ones that are thicker. Get the thinnest ones you can. Trust me. There's ones that are thin now. Uh, Stumac sells them. A bunch of other companies sell them. They're, they're really sold by everybody. You can get them on Amazon. I have heard horror stories of some of the Amazon or least expensive ones not being correctly radiused and being defective. I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that. I'm just letting you know what I heard. I'm passing that information so you're aware that that's out there. It's in their reviews. If you go on Amazon, you can see some of the reviews. I've read some of those too. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, I buy the Stu Mac ones because the fact that, uh, you know, it's like, you know, uh, buy nice or buy it twice kind of thing, right? You know, you buy a good tool. I expect that tool. My radius gauge that I bought from Stu Mac, I expect to live forever, <laughs> right? I don't ex ever expect to buy another one again in my entire life. Um, so that's why I bought it. It was like, okay, I'm done. And, that, and by the way, and I bought those. Well, I had to buy two because I bought the first one. See, I just said, I, I just, I said, I'll never have to buy them again. I had to buy, but I bought a second set because um, when they did, they decided to refine them and make them thinner. Um, so I use the under saddles. I like those. And then I use the notched ones, which is what I usually, like I had them do the giveaway with the notched ones because I find when doing setups, which is different than when you're refretting, different than when you're building a guitar, when you're doing setups, speed is your friend whether you're doing it for yourself or you're doing it as, uh, you know, for, as a job, you want to move quickly to diagnose a problem because, uh, you know, you can spend, you know, everybody talking about setup, like how long a setup should take. A setup should take 30 minutes to an hour. However, I have spent three, four hours on a setup on just finding an issue. I mean, you spent mostly, it's not doing the work. It's figuring out why it's doing what it's doing. Um, so I, I like the notch radius gauges cause I can just, just like I do in the video, every time I do the deep dives, like there it is, there it is, no strings off. I like to keep the strings on the guitar as, as much as I can when doing a setup. 
Um, because, and so you know, so I don't create another question by answering a question. Uh, it's not because I'm uh, afraid of the, the neck moving or any of that stuff. I just find, I want the guitar tuned up. I, here's what I want. When I'm working on a guitar for a setup, I want to spend as much of that time in the guitar in the playing position in tune. Because whatever I'm doing, I want it to be representative of what you're going to be playing, right? So it's, it just seems to be a perfect, perfect world to do that. So that's why I like the notch gauges. So notch gauge, I would get both sets if you're going to do setups. <laughs> I like them both, under saddles and the notched ones. I don't use the unnotched set of radius gauges that are the over saddle. Um, I have them, but I have them literally because I bought them. And then they just, they, if you look, in fact, <laughs> um, what's great about YouTube for me doing the YouTube videos is I've learned, I would have never really thought about this. It just didn't, you know, it's not something you think about day to day, but I learned when making videos, what tools I use, not because somebody asked a question like today and I go, oh, I use this. When I go to show tools, I can see, I have tools that are 15 years old. They look like they're brand new. And I have tools that are three years old and they look like they're ready to be replaced. <laughs> so you're like, okay, so obviously these are the tools I use. And, these are, and in my head, because time is so, such a weird thing, right? Yeah, the older you get, the more time, like 10 years, like that was two weeks ago, 10 years ago. Um, sometimes you think like, oh, I used those a couple years ago. And then I'm like, no, last time I used those is 2006. <laughs> you know, so um, so I the, the unnotched radius gauges I have that you see in my videos, they look brand new because they are. Uh, Mr. G says, new PRS behind you? Yes, <sighs> right there. It's amazing. So what that is, uh, is a Paul Reed Smith CE, right? Um, uh, Bolton neck, 24, semi-hollow in McCarty Burst, which I I think my buddy Eric said, is that lemon drop or something? I, I would have thought it was lemon drop too. When I saw the picture, um, I thought maybe that's what it was, lemon drop too, but it said it was McCarty Burst. So I was like, all right, I'll go with that, <laughs> whatever they say it is. Uh, so... Uh, yes, that was my latest most you know, uh, acquisition. Um, I mentioned when I did my year in review, 2022 review, that I reviewed the Custom 2408 S2, which I absolutely loved. However, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the color and the guitar in itself was like, it was good, but it wasn't like, I just wasn't bonding with it in any kind of way. And one of the things that I try to do is when a company, like what happened with that guitar, um, they left it, PRS sent it, and then they're like, you can just leave it. That was a B-stock guitar, so it had a couple flakes in it. They didn't say that. I talked about that in the video, that I kind of felt like it had some issues, and sometimes that's what they do. They send a guitar that maybe it's not a B-stock per se, but it's like, you know, something is, it's not perfect. And that's a perfect guitar to send to a YouTube channel or to an artist. Cause then that way they can get some marketing out of it. And you know, what, cause what else are they going to do with it? They can't send it to a dealer like that. So, um, uh, and then Sean's asking if it has the pattern thin neck. Uh, yes, this has the pattern thin neck, which is why I wanted it. Cause the same with the, uh, the S2. So what happens is when uh, PRS left the guitar behind, what I tend to do or try to do with a guitar like that, when a company leaves you a nice guitar, the inexpensive guitars are different. They're different things. We can do giveaways with them. We can donate them to charity. Sometimes we'll just sell them and flip them and put it into some more product into the into the channel. But when a guitar company leaves a more expensive guitar, the intent is uh, 
to get you to keep using it so that they can get lots of promotion out of it. So obviously they sent it and I knew I was going to do a deep dive with it, but I'm sure the end goal was that you would start seeing it in a lot of videos with me, right? And so one of the precarious places you get put into when you do this gig is you go, okay, well, they sent you an expensive guitar. I mean, that guitar was $1,900. And you're like, what do I do with it? I don't really see myself playing it all the time. And I don't really think they would appreciate if I just ditched it <laughs> and flipped it into like, oh, everybody, I got eight squires to review this. You know, So what I do sometimes with that is I go, okay, let's go ahead and sell it. So I put on reverb. One of you guys bought it. And then I take the money and I bought that. And I bought that from Wildwood Guitars. Um, after I told everybody the story, uh, the Wildwood story, uh, I go, you know, <laughs> I just had to, I, after the show, I was like, I went on their website and I was looking and I go, oh, that's what I should get, the Bolton. I love the Bolton. Um, and uh, it's a great, it's six pounds something. It plays great. It came perfect. It just came with the playing amazing. I did switch the knobs from clear to brown. I will do a video about it. Obviously, I already put my lock, strap locks on it. Um, and uh, and uh, I've been really, really wanting a CE. I had the Reclaim CE and it just wasn't, it wasn't, it was beautiful, but it wasn't jiving with me. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't bonding. And I went this way and, um, you know, so that's why I wanted it. And I've, I've just, I just something about the CEs. Like I, I've said this before, I, I figured this out with PRS guitars. I'm just not the core person. I'm not the fancy, like I, I private stock just isn't my thing. I'm more of the CE, S2, SE part. I'm more of the working, uh, working product kind of thing. What I mean by working, I was going to say working musician, but that's really what I mean is working product. Like I like function, <laughs> like this guitar sounds and plays great and it looks great, but it's not necessarily, you know, like this guitar, if I, if I marked it or it messed it up, I feel like, okay, yeah, we can keep, you know, keep going. I don't want to feel like I, I have to have a case. Uh, what do you call that? What do they call that when you have a, I forget the name or what the saying, um, you know, a case guitar, you know, a guitar just spends his life in its case. I just don't like that. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, Sean says, uh, I can't get along with pattern thins. I really wish that came in pattern or JM carve. Thin necks really hurt my hands. This neck is not thin. So first of all, something to pay attention to. And I wish Sweetwater would evolve into this next thing. You know, obviously we got Sweetwater and they're out there and they're, they're weighing the guitars and taking actual pictures. And as someone who's like, like I said, when you have as many guitars pass through my hands as, as I have, what you learn is, is that, yeah, there are necks that are consistent, you know, so obviously like a Fender Strat neck, you know, American Standard Strat or American Professional Strat, you know, yeah, the necks are generally the same, but every once in a while you pick one up and you go, this is thinner, this one's thicker. Um, because of what I told you, the machine carves the neck out, but then somebody's hand sanding it. And let's face it, there's a ton of reasons why they would be more aggressive or less aggressive with the sanding. Let me give you a bunch of reasons. This is going to sound crazy, but this is the insight. I think sometimes you guitar players that care about the stuff we should really have. I want you to think about this because it's, it not only makes sense, it's absolutely true. Imagine somebody in a factory sanding a neck. Well, 
if it's the first neck they did today and they're excited, they might be aggressive and push on it a little harder. What if it's the first brand new sheet of sanding paper? By the way, in factories, they all do this and I have no idea. And it's sometimes the management there, not so much the company, where they're like, they want to use every sandpaper until the last end of it. You got to, you know, anyone who sanded anything knows fresh sandpaper versus sandpaper that's basically down to just where it's almost like falling apart in your hands and disintegrating. That's a much different thing. So if I took, if I took a brand new sheet of sandpaper, uh, let's say 350 and I sanded something for, and like a neck, imagine I passed over the neck 50 times on the neck with my hand, right? Imagine if I had a sheet of sandpaper that even though it was 350, it's really been broken down to probably 800, right? It's the equivalent of, you know, a polishing cloth now, 50 passes on that. You're going to have way less material on that neck on the heavy sandpaper. So imagine when somebody does a neck and they're fresh that morning and they're excited, they just had their first cup of coffee and they're all chose and they're two five-hour energy drinks back to back and they got a fresh sandpaper, they're standing that neck, they're going to take a lot more material off that neck and versus someone at the end of the day who's now got the sandpaper that's worn out, it's much different. Not to mention, also sometimes there's a little blim in the neck and they kind of got to sand that out. Also, don't forget sweating. Sometimes when you sweat on uh, the neck, if those of us who actually work on guitars, you know, when you're sometimes working on a body or neck, uh, you're sweating because <laughs> it's hot or just, you know, it's work and you're not paying attention a bunch of big drops go on the wood. And of course those, the first thing you're going to do is kind of sand those off, right? You got to kind of sand that, those spots out, right? Um, because obviously you can't have like wet spots and <laughs> discolors the wood and stuff. So the reason why I tell you that, Sean, is if you go to someone like Wildwood, which is obviously I told you the story why I like Steve who owns Wildwood, but why I look at guitars like this specifically or uh, like I did my custom shop there, in there, uh, not only do they show you the actual pictures of guitars and the weights, they will give you the neck thicknesses at the first and the 12th fret. And so if you go on there, I, uh, I guarantee you guys right now, if you go on and look at the custom 24 SE that I, or C, CE that I bought, if you go on there, you'll see dramatically that even though they're called pattern thin necks, you have a much different, uh, thicknesses. Some of them are like point, point nine seven, some of them point eight, point 0.830 on the first fret, point nine seven, some are point eight five zero and point nine. Three zero. I mean, they're all over the place because of that reason. Because of, like I said, the machines give us consistency, consistency, but the hands give us that special attention and, of course, the variable. A variable. So think about that stuff. So. Um, the... Uh, I told you I have a bunch of friends that work at Fender, and during last summer, Fender's, uh, Fender's air conditioning, actually the summer before that too, their air conditioning in the factory doesn't very good, and I talked about that, and um, that's one of the things that sucks is that they sweat so much that they have to resand necks, um, and uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, we're, obviously, I live in Arizona, so it's a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a hellacious thing. Okay, next question. Next question is from, well, first, Eddie, thank you for the Merry Christmas. Thank you for that. Vimps69 says, happy holidays. Thanks for another great year of fun topics and whatnot. Can't wait to see what 2023 brings. I'm super excited about 2023. I kind of feel like, uh, and you know, I don't want to waste time on this, but I kind of feel like most of 2022 this year was prepping 2023. Um, 
it's going to be it's going to be crazy. I mean, it's because of, you know, during the pandemic, there wasn't a whole lot of exciting stuff to do. We did a lot of cool videos and I was excited about stuff, but there was a lot of stuff we held back on because uh, of all the problems that came with the the problems with, you know, COVID in, in the last couple of years. And now uh, the, the channel, I've been positioned in the channel in such a way that it's just with the help I have now, with everything I have now, I'm really, really stoked. Um, like I said, it's killing me right now, not telling you guys everything. <laughs> I'm just like, that's why I want to get go to the next topic. I don't want to talk about it. But yes, 2023. If you like 2022s, if you like the channel for the, this year, you'll love it for next year. Um, it's like, I would say next year is the more. If there, was a, if there was a word to explain what we're going to plan to do next year, it's more. More giveaways, more videos, more types of videos you like, more special products, more, more, more. So there you go. Uh, Ray says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, DWC says, Hey, Phil, ever see a nitro finish react to rubberized type of screen printing on a t-shirt? Uh, hold on. Pretty sure my Les Paul did love the show. Uh, I've never specifically seen that, but it would make sense. Those things are bad. <laughs> nitro reacts badly to a lot of things. Rubber would be one of the worst, which is why if you have a cheap guitar stand and you put a, a, a nitro guitar on a cheap guitar stand that's got rubber, uh, it's going to burn it uh, because it's going to deprive it of oxygen, which is going to cause it to get superheated and then literally burn. Like it looks like somebody put a cigarette out, <laughs> cigarette out in your guitar and you're like... Um, so that's one of the things. Look, nitro is a weird thing. It's the weirdest topic. I think if there was one crazy topic in the guitar community, it's nitro. Everybody thinks it's tone wood. Tone wood is not the crazy topic. Arguing this wood sounds different than that wood, you know, it sounds crazy, it's not. Some people believe it, some people don't. We all can be friends in the end. It's not really that bad, <laughs> okay? Um, the nitro topic though is crazy because there is a ton of reasons why you don't want nitro uh, you know, uh, finishes. And there's a ton of reasons why some people do. But what's funny about that is really is why, why the, as an industry, try to get away from those finishes. They got away from them because they, they did a lot of things that everybody hated. They faded. They cracked. They chipped. They, uh, they burned, <laughs> right? They, um, they um, uh, well, I think I covered it, right? They faded. They chipped. They burned, right? They, I mean, they, they didn't hold up. They don't, they wear fast. I mean, there you go. And then, so then we, there goes, uh, we have polyurethane, polyurethane or, uh, uh, cellophane finishes or also polyester finishes. Either way, finishes that are like rock hard and last forever and stay shiny and don't fade. And there's just a lot of good things about those type of finishes. And then all of a sudden the industry, the industry being us, the guitar players went, hey, this kind of sucks. I buy a new guitar and it just stays looking new forever. That's bullshit, <laughs> right? Like literally the weirdest thing. Who would have predicted? And imagine if this, this logic found its way, and I'm sure it does. Some of you guys are probably into other things, into other things. But for instance, like the car industry, imagine people went, you know what I really hate? I hate I, I hate it that my car looks brand new after 10 years. I really like the cars that where the finish looks like it burned off. Um, <laughs> and I like the, the faded look of a car. And I love rust. You know, it, it's just weird that that's the thing that we went back to. And 
And more importantly, the reasoning, which would be not that they even have the look, that's part of the argument. So if somebody argues to me uh, that the argument to me is that Nitro looks cooler because they like how it looks beat up. I mean, I sure I get that too. I get it. Like, right? The faded jean look versus new look. I mean, there's cool things about patina vintage looking stuff. I get it, right? An old strat just looks cool because it looks like it had a history and a story, right? You know, it just looks great. And um, so I get that logic and I get the logic of why you wouldn't that. But that's not the problem with Nitro. Nitro's re- came back as a, as a finish on so many guitars. Cause I feel like more companies, I can't say more companies now use nitro than before polyurethane. Cause obviously when there was no other choice, but I'm saying, I think I would bet you if 20 years ago, there's less, there was less factories using nitro cellulose lac- lacquer 20 years ago than there is now. And if you were to say that the number one reason for that is because people prefer to look, I don't think that's true. I think people prefer the look is a reason But the number one reason, especially given by the manufacturers, is it sounds better. Which I've talked about this before. I have a hollow body PRS, hollow body 2, in V12 finish, which is the old kind of like polyurethane type finish. Or it's a polyurethane finish, I should say. And then I have a new one in the nitrocellulose lacquer. And what I can tell you is the nitro one is louder acoustically. It's also thinner. I'm sure the finish is thinner. But... It doesn't matter. It's louder. So yeah, on an acoustic guitar, it's a great argument. On an electric guitar, it's a weird argument. (laughs) People talk about tone wood arguments. We're talking about tone paint. Tone paint is the hardest argument. I, when I talk about the whole, hey, let's not argue about tone wood. Let's just assign percentages of say, like, let's say a difference between mahogany and alder is slightly different in like 1% difference. So that even if you don't believe it's different, you know, you could always say, okay, well, there's a 1% chance, right? There's always some kind of common ground where two people can come together and not have a cage match over this. But <laughs> but the idea that paint changes tone is a hard, hard argument. And here's the part I don't like. Some companies put nitro other over other finishes. So even when people sometimes, and I've, I've had this discussion with somebody who's telling me that this nitro sounds better because it's breathes, but underneath it's acrylic and it's not breathing now. <laughs> right. <And> I'm like, <laughs> I didn't have... so, you know, for the, for the record, I would love to say that I, I like, I popped that balloon or broke that shattered that glass and told him I didn't have the heart to say anything. I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> sounds weird. It's breathing <laughs> anyways. Um, but I get it. And I, and I, here's what I think. I really, I, this is the belief I have. I have a belief that guitars that get played for a long time, like a lot of things, like an old leather jacket, you know, you go and buy a used leather jacket that somebody wore for 20 years and it's broken in. It's, I don't, hey, how about this? Like I said, I'm not a sports guy, but I understand the concept of a, uh, of a catcher's mitt. You break it in, right? A broken in catcher's mitt, right? I get the concept that broken in feels cool. Like to me, if I feel an old guitar and I pick it up and it's all kind of just worked in the right spots and it just feels good and the fretboard's rounded over from years of somebody actually playing the damn thing versus just somebody taking some sandpaper and trying to recreate that, there's a feeling there that's just hard. So I understand trying to emulate that feeling. Um, I've said this before, whether you realize it or not, when people say I hate relic guitars, I always go, well, keep in mind, one of the biggest things that are relic is rounded over fretboards and polished frets. That is not 
Like, that's not a new thing that harkens to an old thing. It's like, there's no like, oh, they used to round over the frets, you know, 50 years ago, and now they stopped and now they're doing it again. No, they didn't do it before. What happened was uh, we played them. And then when you bought used guitars, they were rounded over because somebody polished them with their palm, right? That's <laughs> somebody's physically lost layers of skin from years of playing and polishing the frets and the uh, the edge of the fretboard rounded over. So, um, so I get that. I get simulating that feeling, but it's a really weird thing to kind of say, let's simulate the sound. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I like both for different reasons. But I prefer polyurethane. So, you know, I, that's my preference is polyurethane finish because I like something to look nice and new forever. However, I also wouldn't, there's reasons why I don't want that too. So like, for instance, I uh, this Gibson Les Paul is a nitro, so there's lacquer and it's got this old look to it because it's a you know, gold top and it's, I actually don't mind that. If it was polyurethane, I wouldn't mind it either, but it's, I'd actually be okay if they just made stuff polyurethane, but made it look, just color the, the, the finishes or whatever, or just make it look the way it's supposed to, you know, old and faded and stuff. You can mess with the colors, mix colors, do stuff, but just so you know. Uh, uh, and then on that same subject, uh, the panda says, hey, Phil, Phil, feel, do you ever, he means me though, Phil, Phil, do you ever have issues with your clip locks and the nitro fin finishes? I have not. Uh, had any issues with the washers on the um, uh, the DiMarzio clip locks burning or affecting the finish. Um, what I will tell you is there's two washers that they give you when you buy a strap lock, a locking strap from DiMarzio, these um, locks, the clip lock ones. And uh, one is a nylon washer. That's uh, looks like uh, white or it's clear plastic, but it's nylon is the material nylon. And then the other one's black and it's just plastic. And I think it's like a PVC plastic. Um, the reason they give you two different washers is because there's a black screw and a, a chrome screw and the black screw is bigger and they made the hole bigger for the black screw. So it has a black washer. That's kind of the logic there. However, what I will tell you is when I put my strap locks on my nitro cellulose lacquer guitars, I always do one of two things. Um, I will always use the nylon washer. Okay. Um, for a ton of reasons, cause I find it re reacts a little better to the nitro finish than the plastic one. But here's, what's really funny. Um, I will usually, if, if the manufacturer used felt, but a lot of times they don't, if it's a nitro finish, um, I will put the, uh, I'll put the nylon washer, the plastic, wa you know, nylon plastic washer, and then I'll put felt underneath it or I'll, um, or I'll just use the felt. Um, but if there's no felt, I use nylon and I haven't had an issue yet. Um, I've had with, with, so, you know, with the locking straps, I've had more issues over the years with them imprinting into the finish. In other words, leaving a ring from that plastic washer or nylon washer than I have from burning the finish in any guitar, even if it's probably your thing. So one thing you have to be aware of, if you go to sell your guitar, like I've done many times with mine and I take the uh, strap locks off, um, I always, you know, you have to be aware of the fact that 90% of the time, I feel like the old buttons go in and cover whatever marks that washer made, that washer made. But uh, if not, I just get a bigger button, you know what I mean, that just covers it so so no one can see underneath. I mean, obviously no one really cares as long as the button's there. It's nice. Brian says, so the rubber washer is out then. Yeah, I would not put any rubber directly on nitro cellulose uh, lacquer. You will not be happy with the results. So, 
Uh, Luke says steel washers uh, sound better than brass washers. By the way, on a side note, you could use a steel washer or a brass washer. That would probably react better to the nitro if you didn't want to use the plastic. Um, so that's something if you're concerned about that doing as well. Um, the plastic clip that hangs off the strap end on the guitar. I've never had a problem with it laying against the nitro and having an issue. I've never had anything with the strap doing that. But so, you know, like people have had trouble with nitro and just leather straps. I mean, nitro is, there's a reason, like I said, everybody was so eager to get rid of it. It has, it does a lot of things that people don't like. If you, in my opinion, if you get a nitrocellulose lacquer, nitrocellulose, why am I having so much trouble today? Lacquer guitar, you should just accept the fact that it's not going to stay looking nice. And if that's something that's going to bug you, stay the hell away from that finish. It's going to make you nuts. There's almost, first of all, if you really care about those guitars, keep them out of any light, which means if you have a room like this, where I have a window, uh, like a bay window or whatever in this room, uh, you need to keep them in UV under, protected under, in a case, like UV plastic case, or you got to keep the window shut all the time. You got to keep curtain, curtains. UV light will kill, is going to do stuff to, to the nitro you don't want it to do anyways. So regardless of what's touching it, just the light alone is doing something to it. So you want to keep it away from that. So there you go. All right, next subject. Uh, thank you, Harbanger, for the super chat. Warham5 says, hey, Phil, how can you figure out the nut material? I noticed you did it on Ibanez. I've been hating this. I've been dreading this question so so, so much, so much, so much. Warren five, you win a prize and it, it's, you don't get anything. But anyways, so his question is, I noticed you did it on an Ibanez Geo video. Merry Christmas from freezing South Korea. So yes, in the videos, I will, I told you one thing about my review videos is I do not read ad copy. In other words, just because a manufacturer says this is what it is, I don't care. I've always tested the guitars to see what I think they are. I think I run a great track record with that. <laughs> Obviously, sometimes I can make a mistake. It's possible. So in other words, if a company says this and I find that through testing and I'm not finding that, I go with what I believe. If I feel like I have a moment of like, I don't know, they could be, they could be what they said and I could be wrong. I might lean into the, what they say, but either way, I'm trying to give you the honest, my honest reaction to what I think is material. His question is like, for instance, I've done it in a couple videos where I said, oh, this is bone. And then you'll go on their website and then they'll say like, this is plastic or I'll say, they say it's bone and it's actually plastic. Okay. Okay. So how do I test a nut? Now, obviously like, a, a graft tech to bone nut. That's pretty easy, right? <laughs> You're like, hey, this one's uh, gray and this one's uh, uh, white. Um, but how do I tell if it's a synthetic bone? And that's more important than more so than even plastic, right? How do I tell synthetic bone from bone? Well, there's two tests. One is this. I uh, use a match, a hot match. Um, so what I'll do is if I can pop the nut off, which you can most of the time, I will pop the nut off so it's on the bottom. I will light a match and put it out immediately and touch the bottom of the nut. If it's bone, it will burn. And if it's not bone, it will melt. So what I mean by burn is it'll have like a char mark on it, almost, you know, like a little, you know, obviously you get the idea, a little brown mark. You'll have a little brown mark from the match. Um, but if it's any kind of plastic material, man-made material, even if it's, um, uh, the, there's a synthetic 
plastic that uses a uh, what's the material? They 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 got in China. Uh, China got in trouble a few years ago putting it. They put it in protein powder and they were putting it in baby formula and killing babies with it. Um, what was the material? Um, that's gonna drive me nuts. Hope somebody says the answer. I don't know why I can't think of it. By the way, Music Man Mal Malamine. Malamine, Music Man actually uses that material. So Malamine uh, is a type of plastic, but I, and again, I'm not a chemist. I'm not any of those things. I can only tell you just from working on stuff, things I've learned from working on stuff. Malamine's a material that you'll see a lot of times I'll use for synthetic bone nuts. And uh, one of the things about that material, which is why they were sticking it in protein drinks, apparently, is that uh, Malamine, uh, because it's like from petroleum oil, which is a lot of plastic, but this one in particular, um, when you test it, it comes up as being like a protein, right? Okay, so here's the important part. So malamine. Malamine is a synthetic bone material and I've seen synthetic bone nuts made of that type of material, other materials that are very convincing. But if you do the match test, if you take a match, like I said, light it, blow it right out and touch the bottom of the nut. You're touching the bottom because you obviously don't want to see anybody what you just did. Um, because you're, you're obviously, you know, you're damaging it. Uh, obviously burn mark or brown mark versus a melt because the melamine will burn a little bit or melt a little bit. Now, let's say, for instance, sometimes the nut is glued in there and sometimes I'm nervous because they're supposed to be using wood glue to glue the nut in and that's if they, you know, just a couple dots of that. Sometimes these, the two dots of super glue is a method. I'm not a fan of that, but I've used it and a lot of luthiers use it too. Um, in other words, I can tell when a nut is going to pop off pretty easier versus when this is going to take some time. And obviously I'm not here to spend two hours on a, to pop a nut off just to tell you guys what color it is. So the next test is the one I'm embarrassed to tell you, which is I bite it with my teeth. Um, I, I literally, if this was the nut, <laughs> I just, I do that. Um, it's really easy to figure out. It's really embarrassing. Cause I'm like holding a guitar neck and I'm like, <laughs> uh, and I won't do it on camera. I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, I'm just, I'm not worried about a meme of it. I just, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, that's why I do it. When you bite it, it's pretty simple. Um, biting a piece of bone is exactly what you would imagine. It's going to be like, it's going to be, um, cold and it's going to click to your teeth in a certain way. It has a certain feeling to it versus any plastic, even graphite. When you bite on a graphite, it's got a different, um, sense to it, to your teeth. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, graphite and plastic, that's a question you didn't ask, but that's another question that I get asked a lot. Like I'll say, oh, this says it's a graphite nut, but it's plastic or vice versa. I'll say this is plastic. Cause remember it doesn't just go one way. Everybody's always thinking like, oh, they say this great thing. And then they give you junk. Sometimes they promised you junk and they give you a great thing because the factories, you know, factories are notorious for like, they got to send out, you know, 500 pieces of something and they just have this thing. And even though it's more expensive, it's cheaper for them to get it out tomorrow than wait a week for those other parts to come in. So sometimes you get an upgrade on a guitar you're not expecting. So uh, graphite versus uh, uh, plastic is also very easy. The fastest way for me to do it is w hopefully uh, in a perfect scenario, if I'm trying to test it, hopefully one of the slots in the nut wasn't cut deep enough. So I have to do a, a, a cut a slot or, or file a slot a little bit. That's perfect situation. Cause I'll know from that. If I don't, again, I pop the nut off and I sand very lightly, very easily. I sand a little bit of the material off. Um, graphite will turn to powder. So, and here's what you don't know. Not all graphite nuts are created equal. In other words, some are impregnated graphite. So it's like a plastic with graphite 
impregnated into it. So when you sand it, you can see immediately the graphite powder, which also has a very sparkly look to it because it's pieces of graphite. Um, the graphite powder will um, be in, in the plastic. So the plastic will kind of sand like plastic and the graphite will come out like graphic, graph, graphite. And you can see like, this is a blend and they can get away with doing, you know, just like anything, like anything, alchemy, right? They can literally go put more graphite. So there are some nuts that are solid, not solid graphite, but there is a huge amount of graphite in them. And then there's other materials in that too. Like I said, PRS uh, guitars, the core guitars and the S2s that use the uh, Paul Smith nut are known for using a material uh, that's like graphite and brass. And I even think it has ground glass, like glass. Well, it's all ground. It's like glass, graphite and and brass. It's, it's other materials in there that they, they come together. So so like I said, so that usually that's how you test it. You test it by some way of taking off, you know, like some, some material either through sanding or the burn test, or you just bite on it. And that tells you, like I said, graphite's really easy. If you bite a piece of graphite, uh, it's going to be cold and hard. And if you bite a piece of plastic, again, plastic doesn't hold temperature really well. So uh, if not, you know, so obviously that's really easy. So, uh, especially you think if it's cold, I'd say it'd be better. It's really easy when it's hot in Arizona because when it's a hundred and well, not hundred, when it's 90 degrees in the shop, and you bite down on a piece of graphite and the graphite's cold to the touch. You're like, you know, to your teeth. You're like, okay, that's obviously graphite. It's not, it's not howling in the temperature really well. So that's how I do that stuff. No one has ever asked me that before, but I've always been laughing going, one day somebody's going to ask me that and I'm going to have to just tell them. Uh, the rule is if you ask me, I tell you guys, unless it's something like said, like products in the future and stuff. I can't talk about that stuff, but if it's about me, I'd just talk about it. So Warren, thanks for unlocking that. <laughs> So I think I covered all the materials. That's pretty much how I test all those materials. So like I said, I think that's one of those, one good thing about getting those kind of questions for me, just to share with you guys is, um, is, uh, is that sometimes when I make the deep dive video, cause there's a lot of channels that do videos where they're just taking apart things apart or just go, you know, showing you all the things. A lot of times people are like, you know, and I go, Oh, it takes a long time. And you guys mentioned other channels and I love those channels too, but there's more off camera work than on camera work on my channel. For every 10, not 10 minutes, for every minute you see in the deep dive section, that that is at least 30 minutes to an hour of investigating, dissecting. I mean, you know how many times I have to like literally go back and research again what I'm seeing or what I'm doing because I really know that you guys hold me accountable and I'm sometimes on a deeper level than I think I I deserve. <laughs> what <laughs> for on a positive or negative. So sometimes I'm like, okay, I got to go back. I got to go back. Or, Hey, that's not a, that I, I answered that, but I'm like, is that really the answer? Let's go back and double, double, double check. And so a lot of times that's where the, the time is sucked up is in the, let's see what these companies really did. And if you're paying attention, most companies are not passing the deep dives as much as I love the guitars and the deep dives. If you really pay attention to those, in other words, I, I thought about doing this. I'm not gonna, but if I was to, screenshot you in almost all those videos, like what they're saying and what I'm saying, we're not lining up as much as you thought you think we are. And sometimes I get called out for that and they're saying, Hey, you're wrong. Cause this is what their video, this is what their website says. And sometimes people are saying, yeah, you're right. So again, it's, I can only tell you what I see with the experience I have. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not old. I'm vintage says, uh, I got a toothache just thinking about it. Yeah. It's not like I said, I, I also know it probably gives some of you the, Ooh, <laughs> right. Cause you're like, he's just biting. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you fix stuff, you guys know, when you fix stuff, you know, 
Uh, my father-in-law's electrician, right? And he's always touching electrical stuff and just freaks me out. <laughs> I'm like, you want to go turn off the breaker? And he's like, no, no, it's hot. And I'm like, oh, geez, don't do that. You know, that's the thing that happens when you have a trade. You you tend to go, I could, I could figure this out, but also that's 10 more minutes I don't have, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's 10 more minutes. Um, all right. Uh, Planet CD says, do you think it's worth an extra thousand dollars to go from Les Paul Studio to standard? Uh, worth. Well, first of all, we have a policy on the channel that if you ask us to do something, you're going to, we're going to say yes. So yeah, you should totally get rid of your studio and get a standard. Uh, I will have no, uh, I have no, uh, shame. I have no shame in this. I, I can't, I love the studios. It's my favorite Les Paul. So that, I'll start with that. I love the studio. It's my favorite Les Paul. It's light. It sounds good. It plays good. It's priced where I would like to be in for guitars. That being said, not having that stupid binding on the edge. Screw the whole mahogany with the maple cap. I don't even care about that. I literally care about the binding on the side. The, right? It's just about like the marketing of it. It's the marketing. It's the bound fretboard. Back in the day, I used to never even look at studios when they had the dot fretboards and no binding. Remember they used to make them really cut down? I was like, no way. I could never do it. Now the studios look more like the standards where they have the block uh, inlays and a lot of times the binding on the neck, they just don't have the binding on the body. If So there's where I'm at. I mean, if you're asking me, would I pay $1,000 for a standard over studio? I did. And it's as stupid as what I just said. That's it. I have no... I should have shame. I have no shame in telling you guys that. It's what it is. I just, I just want the studio. That's it. Our standard. I just want the standard for the aesthetics. I'm, I'm driven by aesthetics a lot on guitars. Functionally, most guitars are the same. So when people say like my $300 guitar is as good as a $3,000 guitar, they're generally correct. Like I said, the variances are, are not as extreme as people think, especially when you work on them. However, that being said, when you work on everything, you start wanting everything you have to be a little bit special because you're like, okay, I get it. This is a great guitar. It's like, it's like I know if I want a good car, Toyota Corolla. <laughs> but do I want to drive a Toyota Corolla? Yeah, maybe I do, but I kind of want to drive something a little bit more unique in, in that analogy, right? Not me personally, I could care less. But um, so on in your thing, uh, if you're asking me, you have a Les Paul Studio and it's great. Should you, you know, are you going to gain anything in the sound to go to the standard? Hell no. Right. If you say, oh, it has like some studios even have the maple gap. So then it's even uh, not, not a big deal either way. But let's say you have a studio right now and it has no maple cap, all mahogany, mahogany net with dot inlays, no blocks. What do you get if you go to the standard? Uh, if you put good pickups, if you put the same pickups in those guitars or quality pickups of those leggings, the difference is the sound will be different, but it won't be better. It's just different. Like you might notice one guitar is a little brighter, one guitar is a little darker. But again, those aren't necessarily like this is horrible and this is good or this is good and this is better. It'll just be like this is a little bit more this and this is a little bit more that. Uh, so you have for me, you buy you buy the standard because you just want the standard. That's it. So there you go. And, and the reason I also say that is because I can give you all the logical reasons why you should not get rid of a studio to get a standard, but I'm also going to recognize you might be in that same mental trap I am that, for instance, 
I've always felt like I want, you know, the core custom 24 is the way to go. But deep down, I really prefer the bolt-on neck one because I kind of like the, hey, this has the look, but it has the function I want, which is just this guitar with a satin neck and a feel, which is why when Nathan made me my custom 24, if, if you really pay attention to what Nathan did, Nathan made me my custom 24 in that video. He really made the CE. He didn't do the bolt-on part, but he did the satin neck, right, is, is a big part of that. And um, he put the switching and stuff kind of like the same three-way switch, the knobs just, and, and on the new CEs, which I prefer to the old ones, not because they're better. The old ones actually are more like the cores, which some people will attribute to be better. I like that they soften the edge on the new CEs. In other words, they thin the body and soften the edge so that the volute cut isn't so high and sharp. If you watch the video where Nathan built my, he, that custom 24 for me, he softened and, and thinned that down too. They took that down. So they made that guitar more like a CE because that's what I like. Okay, so. All right. Uh. Okay, hold on. I'm just jumping on the, you guys, what you guys are talking about. So I can be part of it and talk about anything that's relative, relative or related to this. Brian wants everybody to know that black binding has more bass than cream binding. You know, that's funny because it's funny. It's a funny joke, Brian. But also that could be an argument on Reddit tonight. <laughs> Sometimes you make a joke and you realize I just created six hours of a stream on gear page or Reddit. So it's, it's kind of funny. Um, the, uh, you know, what's funny is, since we're talking about crazy things, uh, Luke uh, says, the tone is in the inlays. And he goes, no. Okay, the tone is in the inlays. There is actual stories about that. So, you know, there are arguments about why some manufacturers don't put inlay, uh, inlays in their, uh, in the necks, uh, <laughs> in the fretboards. <laughs> um, even, there's even... I, I mean, they're serious. This is not, I'm not kidding. You can even read like the books on certain companies and they talk about their building theory and stuff. There are definitely theories that, you know, putting too much plastic in the, in the fretboard changes the, the tone. It ruins it. Um, there's reasons, there's companies who stated like why they'll do like small inlays or even smaller dots or offside dots or position a dot. I've even seen a company once position the inlays not only small, but in a spot where no one's finger would touch because that way your finger, that was part of their marketing copy was your fingers always touching wood. <laughs> you guys will love that. I, all the 12 year olds out here, we're going to love this comment. But anyways, the, the 12 year old minded people, I mean, so my point is, uh, that's what I'm saying. Everything has an argument. <laughs> it's, I'm not, uh, so there you go. So tone inlays. So yes, there's tone woods, there's tone inlays, there's tone, uh, <laughs> tone paint, tone, <laughs> tone, tone polish. Remember Gibson made tone polish. So there was guitar polish that improved your tone. Uh, you can Google that. That's actually hundred percent true. And that wasn't 20 years ago. That was like in 2019. I'm pretty sure. Maybe 2020. It was around that time. Wasn't more than five years ago. All right, Christopher says, hey, happy holidays. My Strat has Duncan Distortion Bridge, vintage rails in the middle position, and a cool rails in the neck position. Position one, three, and five are great, but two and four 
not so much. Any thoughts on making two and four usable? Sure, it could be on how those are wired up because those uh, those positions two and four. When you say not usable, what we do, what I don't know is what how they're wired and how they're wired be, could be causing your problem. So, for instance, let me give you for in, uh, for instance, uh, since you in your your analogy or your analogy in your situation, what you have is a humbucker in the bridge, and then a mini humbucker in the neck and middle position. So you have three humbuckers. So it could be wired so that in two and four you have the bridge and the middle in humbucker mode, and you may not like that. And in position four, you could have the middle humbucker and neck humbucker engaged, and that, you know, again, you may not like that. But also, without knowing more than what you gave me, your wiring can be such that when you're in position two, your bridge and middle go into single coil mode, and you have two single coils. And also the same for the neck and and, uh, and the middle is they can be in single coil mode. So the good news is, is that uh, there is a couple of other ways they can be wired uh, in, 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 in parallel or series or in and out of phase. Not likely so much in that particular situation, but just in the basics, it could be as simple as, um, you know, what I said. One way I like to wire those is to wire them so that the middle position is always a single coil when it's in two and four. So in other words, it's humbucker, then humbucker single middle, then single humbucker in the middle, right? Or single humbucker, the humbucker in the middle, then single coil in the middle and humbucker in the neck. I know that sounds confusing, but my point is, is that I think you got the gist of this is that it's not the pickups we're talking about right now. You're saying the pickups, and I think that's where your your logic's going is you're having an issue with pickups. You're, you're having a, a wiring issue. You don't like the way they're wired up in those positions. So I would download some different wiring schematics and look at them and then open up the cavity of your guitar and look at your cavity. If you've never done it before, don't worry, man. It's really basic color-coded stuff. I mean, we're talking about, you know, no electricity running that stuff. You can't hurt yourself, right? You get the soldering iron out. You might burn yourself, but other than that, you can't hurt yourself. You can look at that stuff and look at schematics. Seymour Duncan pretty much has every schematic you can ever think of for any Seymour Duncan pickup. You can download that and look at all the ways to wire that stuff up. And I would look at the way you're wired up or find out the way you're wired up and then look at those alternative wiring things. Even if you just forgot them as fast as I said them, you just know to look for them. And that would go for anybody else that's maybe having that problem. Thank you. T-Size says, first, Merry Christmas, Phil. And have you ever tried a Tim pedal? Uh, and have you ever tried the Blackstar St. James yet? I have not tried that. If so, what are your thoughts? And did you get rid of the Solar? Okay, so Blackstar St. James, I have not tried. Tim pedal. I had the Timmy. I don't think I had the Tim, but I might have. I don't remember. Uh, it's been a while. So I want to say maybe on the Tim, but I definitely had a Timmy and I've definitely had a couple of them. So I think I've had both. I can't remember. Uh, on the Solar guitar, I no longer own the Solar guitar. I did a mass purge of guitars as they collected up over the years. And that was just a guitar that as much as I loved it, it was just at some point where they had to go. So, you know, I actually got rid of a, a lot of guitars that I really preciously loved. And I just actually bunched up a bunch more that I think a lot of people, including close friends, would have a heart attack if they were like, really, that's got to go. And the reason is, I've told you many times, is this is the extent of the guitars I have is what you see here. And then I have obviously some more in the other room. And that's a lot of guitars. I, I just don't have physical room for these guitars. So something at some point has to go. 
And that's what happens at some point you go, okay. And I do what a lot of people do at some point I go, okay, which ones am I using the most? And that one just wasn't getting the rotation. I sure love that guitar and I can't ever get it again, but it had to go. I think when I got rid of it, I'm, I wish I was exaggerating. I got rid of 19 guitars that week. I just purged them all out. So it's a, uh, it's how it goes. All right. Uh, and then I've been thinking about, well, cause you'll see there's another solar coming on the channel. That's next year's thing that ties into something else that everybody's been asking for too. So that's, uh, every time something goes, always keep in mind, if it goes, it's because something else is coming in its place that either for, for some reason I wanted it, or in this case, it's something that I'm going to now talk about because it's, it's a more guitar, a different guitar, you know, right. To talk about for the channel. Uh, Nick says, Merry Christmas. I just snagged a 1975 jazz bass. Just waiting for it to arrive sometime in the new year. Waiting game sucks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does. 1975 is a great bass. I had a 74P bass. Um, so very cool. Uh, I know waiting sucks, especially right now. Everything I find that's being shipped to me right now, just, I keep getting delay notices and more delay notices. And everything being shipped to me is for like some kind of work purpose, but just so many so many, uh, <laughs> Benjamin, you're cracking me up. Ben, Benjamin's like, have some Brussels sprouts for me at the thirsty lion. I'm in Vegas with the family. We escaped Michigan just in time. Have a good holiday. Uh, yeah, Brian, uh, I told the story, Brian came to town and we had Brussels sprouts for the first time, uh, roasted Brussels sprouts at the thirsty lion and we loved them. And now we've had them everywhere else. So I will buddy and have fun in Vegas. So I uh, enjoy um, I'm going to say Creston. Creston says, have you played the Jason? Uh, oh, Isbel Telly. Is that, I th is it Jason? Hold on. Let me look. Just got one. I'm curious in your thoughts. Um, it's in the made in Mexico. Wait, it's a made, made in, it says Mim made in Mexico that has the cost of an American telly. So, I don't know. This is one of those things I got to look now because it's sometimes I'm on stuff and sometimes I have my head in the sand when it comes to stuff. Um, I'm not familiar with this guitar. I told you Fender's been off my radar a lot because uh, what I've gotten from Fender wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, there's only so much stuff you can buy from a company and it's not having a good, you know, it's not good. This is really cool looking. Let me share it with you guys. So this is the guitar. So obviously it's kind of relic. It's $1,500, $1,600. Looks cool. So what's nice about it is it's relic. So you can't tell if they did anything wrong. <laughs> so interesting. I have not tried it. I don't know anything about it. Like I said, I just, I don't get my hands on very many fenders anymore. So uh, like I said, uh, we, we all, uh, if there's one thing that whole of this community seems to be agreeing on is that it, I, I think a lot of us will agree. Like I'm a huge Fender fan. Obviously I like my fenders, but fenders had a bad run for a couple years now. And, uh, and I believe a lot of that bad run has to do with the fact of, you know, they worked their employees really hard during COVID and they try to produce numbers that I think were too aggressive and a lot of mistakes get through. And that's what happens to brands. Brands you know and trust. Somebody said in one of the comment sections, I saw it, they said, you know, Fender is now Gibson and Gibson is now Fender. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like I was, I was 
bagging on Gibson's quality before COVID, and now I'm bagging on Fender's quality, and uh, you know, and so versus a Gibson. So, um, and like I said, it might change. But in other words, I'm I'm not saying anything's wrong with the guitar. It's probably fantastic. I'm just saying that's why I haven't really been aggressive about getting any Fenders on the channel. So, but there you go. Um, uh, Litvay says, "What are the reasons for doing Instagram for someone like you?" By the way, last week I was asking for your full moons, uh, that, that what they are like. Good for an L, uh, Epic Casino. So what are the reasons for doing Instagram? Same reasons for doing YouTube? I don't know what's good. For some, what's the reasons for doing it? What's the reasons for doing this every week? <laughs> so the, it's the same, same logic, I guess. I don't know. Uh, share information. Like I share things with people, uh, on Instagram. Like for instance, last week, you guys asked me a question on the show and my wife's like, you never answered the thing about the Dana scoop. So we did that and posted on Instagram. I got 25,000 views. Uh, so obviously when I say that, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I don't get paid for that. It's not like a 25,000 views. It's more of a, oh, okay. So it was, it was interesting to somebody. Somebody found it relevant. So that's why you do it. So that would be the logic to do it. Same thing as this YouTube channel. Same thing as the live show. Um, you know, the, it's a, it's a, and same thing with doing YouTube videos. It's sharing information, sharing things with people. I don't know. I think that's one of those questions where, trust me, I could go down a much deeper rabbit hole internally than you can when it comes to why I do any of this. <laughs> um, I, I've been very, I think I've been very upfront about this uh, for a while. I, I had, had already planned to stop doing YouTube and I thought it was going to resolve itself before I even planned. So in other words, what I'm saying is I was doing this and I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I'll, I like doing this. And then I thought not that I would quit. I just thought it would die. And then I would just go on to, you know, spending the time doing the other stuff. I, I spent, I spend more time not remember YouTube is not the, the biggest time suck for me. It's the videos are a lot of time, but my other projects that I do are my biggest time suck. So it was a, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I said every week. I, I stopped doing it now, but it is, is, as recent as in the last, I say a year ago, I stopped about a year ago, but up until a year ago, I used to always say, this is my last live show. <laughs> and I wasn't being sarcastic. I was just like, this is going to be the last one. There's nothing to talk about. No one's going to care. And then yet you guys are here and we're talking. So, uh, so lift fade, same thing. And then also, like I said, my wife was willing to do it. That was a big part of it. I didn't have time. That was the biggest thing. Uh, same with Facebook and all the other things. Um, there was this, uh, uh, same logic, you know, patrons, a good thing. My wife handles patrons. She's, she handles the majority of patron for me. Um, she's the one that's like, Hey, this person you said, you're saying you haven't responded yet, or Hey, this thing's happening or Hey, make sure this gets out or whatever. Um, and, uh, or Hey, you might want to update them or something. She's on top of that. And she's the one that gets out the kits and stuff. And she handles that stuff. And, um, I, one thing I say to her besides, thank you, huge thank you for that is without that, I don't know if I could I could do it. You know what I mean? It's uh, same with Instagram. I don't know if I could do all these things. Um, I, that would just be literally, I would just do that. I would just do social media only. And, uh, and then you get a lot more videos if I did it that way, but I just don't, I just don't do it. I can't do it. It's, it's too much, too much. No moss. This is, this is the most I can do. And I mean by that, what I mean by that is for sanity purposes. I love doing it, but it can make you crazy and it will make you crazy and I'm not going to let it. So I do as much social media as I think 
we all can enjoy and not more than I can mentally handle. <laughs> so uh, Slick Wheelie says, uh, using a Mesa head track to run two amps through one cab, what do you recommend to be able to run more than two heads in multiple cabs? If you're going to run more than two heads, um, uh, Peter Ahrens does Amp Pete, and that's what I would recommend. He's a genius, and that's the product he would use. I don't use anything other than I have a radial headbone or whatever. Um, I have it. I did a video on it. I don't really use it because, like I've told you guys, I have a rack of amplifiers, um, and the rack looks like everything on YouTube. It looks bigger than it is. Like, this room is small. This background behind me is small. The rack that sometimes looks so huge is not very big. If you really think about it, when you really add it up, it's like, I think it's nine slots, I think. So there's nine amps, and that's what I have. Uh, and that includes cabinets and heads, right? And combinations and stuff. Uh, and maybe, you know, uh, one in the bedroom and stuff like that. But my point is, I don't run multiple amps. I only run one amp at a time. I don't run, um, I don't have a desire to like, okay, and now I play through the Mesa, and now I play through the Marshall, and now I play through the Freeman. I, I'm i more of a, uh, I love this amp, and I'm playing only this amp. This, <laughs> And I play that for weeks. And then one day, it's it's never a conscious decision. One day I plug in my amp. I, I wish it wouldn't happen. Trust me, I would just have one amp. Um Every time I, it happens to me, I'll plug in an amp one day and I'm just like nothing. It's, it's like, you know, this is going to be horrible what I'm going to say. It's like you ever had a really bad steak and you're chewing on it and you realize at some point it's just bland and it's just, you're just chewing on bland, right? Sometimes an amp just has, a, I have that reaction to an amp. I'm not saying it's, it is bland. I'm just saying I'm having a reaction. Like nothing is, there's nothing happening here. There's no emotional thing happening. And then right then I'm like, yoink. And I put another amp and I will tell you two things. One, and then I'm on that amp for a while. So that's one thing that's for sure. So that's why I run an amp for a while. That's why I, sometimes when you guys ask the question, what's your favorite amp? Well, it's what I'm using right now. However, the other thing that's interesting is I also refuse to do that too often. So for instance, I would never do that every day. I wouldn't go like this amp and then tomorrow I'm sick of it and I'll do another amp. Um, I, I don't want to chase that. Um, like I said, the Know Your Gear channel uh, theme of the channel isn't, you know, get the next thing, right? It's like, it's Know Your Gear. And I've said this before, but I keep refining it because I think sometimes it's like, you know, as we pontificate over the years, we can kind of refine it. It's more of just, like I said, it's not knowing your gear, like learn your piece of gear and use it to the best it can be, or, you know, know everything about your piece of gear. Know your gear is actually more of a intuitive thing to say, look, there are people, they're like me, and they are always like looking for the next big thing. And know your gear is the reminder that you might already have the next big thing. So you need to really make sure that you keep playing it, keep loving it, keep trying it let it settle in, you know, be part of it. And then, you know, and then I get it. Sometimes it happens, right? Sometimes even, even when you find the perfect amp and the perfect guitar 10 years later, um, I, I tell everybody my main guitar right now is my SG. I love SGs. 10 years ago, I didn't, not only did I not own an SG, I wouldn't even try an SG. It wasn't a guitar I was interested in any way. I would pick them up. I mean, literally pick them up, plug them in, had nothing about them that spoke to me. And then one day, just my ear changed. I got older, something happened. <laughs> I don't know. I just, all of a sudden, I'm just like, this is magical. How did I not see this? That's what happens. You change. Um, <laughs> Brian says, if you soak your strings in coffee, your tone will be more awake. That's funny. You know, bass players boil, boil their strings. 
You should boil them in coffee. You never know. Um, Voodoo Fist wants us to have happy, happy holidays. Thank you, Voodoo Fist. I appreciate that. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, just wanted to wish you and the family a very Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Like I said, tomorrow is the charcuterie board um, that Larry sent, which we're super excited for. Um, so, you know, I feel bad if I say this, and I feel bad if I don't say it. It, it It's a... I'm going to say it. He He's so nice, and this thing is over-the-top charcuterie board thing. This thing he sent, I, I showed you guys earlier in the show, and if you missed it, if you're watching live, just watch the rebroadcast. Like, it's these amazing cheeses, these amazing meats and stuff, all from, like, Italy and France that are just fantastic. And then he sends bottle of wines and bottles of wine, and the wines are uber expensive i mean this whole thing is a very expensive thing that's why we make a whole day of it every year because it is a gift man it's a it's a gift you you could take a family to an amazing restaurant for the price he spends for this and it's all picked by him and so that's why i said i kind of feel the need to reciprocate and speaking of i told you guys i mentioned twice so anybody that missed it and of course a reminder again is that on instagram we're doing a giveaway this week that's what that little screen thing that i can't point to that's on the just that way. <laughs> I'll just do that. That remember my my screen is opposite. Um, zither stands is made a custom zither stand for us. As I hit the ceiling, and it has the Know Your Gear neon logo, which is the logo that I use right here. And this is not for sale. We might sell one one day, but I don't know when or if we ever do that. But we never sold this logo on the stand, even in a limited edition run. This is this, you, this, you'll get a stand just like this. And it's a beautiful stand worth $200. And we're giving it away. You just got to go to Instagram, or if you're a patron, remember you already entered, which is good. And uh, if you hate Instagram, I understand. But like I said, my wife's doing this right now. She's doing all the work, man. She set this up with uh, Tony Zither's wife, who's the CEO of the company, of their company. The, 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 the wonderful ladies did this. Like I said, all I have to do is hold the stand and tell you guys about it, um, and you guys can win a stand. And why? I don't know. She said she wants to do this. She said, my wife basically told me, she said, why don't I reach out to companies and we see what we can do with giveaways? And more importantly, and then I, ref I res responded to her and said, can we do cool things, though? Can we do things like like the the Stumac thing where I, you know, which was, Stumac was doing that promotion, but my wife's one got it, you know, got us on that list. And, you know, where I picked out the tools and I'll do the Zoom call with you guys. There's actually, like I said, there's actually a cool review in February. I told you there's a giveaway in February. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but what I can tell you is, is that I'm reviewing a new type of pickup, some new guitar pickups. And those will be given away. The ones that are in the video will be given away in February on Instagram with a certificate saying they're from the video and a Zoom call when you get them, I'll, I'll help you install them through Zoom, through a through an so interactive call. So you got to thank my wife for all this stuff. Just amazing ways to do this stuff. I, I obviously would never have the time to do this stuff. So it's amazing that they're, you know, she's working this all out. And the goal is to have two products a month, something cool, something unique. She's working on a cool pedal right now. She's working on a guitar, right? But like I said, not just like something just to give away, something that has some value of interest. I don't know. So, like I said, all right. Um, so, uh, the Quadraphonic Gospels. Wow, what a name! The Quadraphonic, quadraphonic Gospels says, "Why are handwound pickups, custom pickups, so expensive?" <laughs> uh, 
Yes, I can actually tell you as someone who makes custom hand wound pickups. Uh, my pit set of pickups, like Northern Light set, are $300 a set. It's absolutely ridiculous. I've said that before. Everyone who bought one, I appreciate you guys buying them. Uh, and I've said it before. Uh, it's literally because my time. That's what my time's worth to me. Um, I can't justify doing it for anything less than that for, uh, for what I factor the time to be. So a lot of hand-wound manufacturers are going to do that. Now, I don't want to take away from somebody else's work, okay? Everybody's worth something. Obviously, they're worth some kind of value point. So I don't want to degrade that. I don't want, I don't want anybody degrading my time, so I don't want to degrade their time. But that being said, I want to kind of broach the subject of very honestly. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do this. You can go to mojotone.com and look up what pickup parts go for. You can look up pickup parts. Go to see where our go to Stu Mac and look at what a humbucker P90 single coil kit goes for, a pickup kit. And it doesn't take a genius to figure if that's what the price of what the parts cost as a whole, you know, right? What does it cost if you buy that in scale? Uh, obviously, it's going to go down dramatically. And of course, you know, same thing with pickup pick wire and stuff. I mean, the components itself are not extremely expensive. There's a lot of R&D and of course, lots of years behind that. Because remember, the iceberg is not just the tip. It's the whole thing. So yeah, is it, does it take, I'll tell you, a single coil pickup takes me to wind it from start to finish, like from, okay, so I get the two bobbins, I compress them, I'm doing it in my head right now, compress them onto the slugs. I'm gonna magnetize them, you have to gau gauze them right then. Um, so they're magnetized and I'll test them, uh, the gauze to make sure the magnet, you know, it's they're magnetic now. And then I'm uh, gonna mount them on the winder. Oh, thread the, thread the wire. Uh, so let's say 42 gauge enamel, thread that. And I'm gonna put it on the winder. The wind itself is going to take about maybe five minutes because I'm going to run about somewhere between 4,000 to 9,000 winds. Depending on the pickup, I'm giving you just general numbers. I think it takes about five minutes to run that that winder that long. It depends on how fast you go on the winder, right? Um, at full speed or, you know, if you're varying the speeds because you're doing, there's all kinds of winding patterns and winding things you can do. That being said, then after you're done with that, you're going to tie, tie it off, solder the two leads on, run them through, and then it's going to get dipped into wax. Um, the wax should sit for 24 hours. They should sit in the pot for 24 hours. You can do it as little as a few hours, but 24 hours. That's not your time, obviously. Next day, you're going to pull it out. Clean up a little bit. Put the cover on it. Test it. And then, uh, you know, and then put it in the box. Okay. So I was going to, to totally say, I mean, to say to make a three single coil pickups, I think I can do it in two hours. I, I'm rounding up a lot. I don't think it takes that nearly that long. I think it takes about an hour. So if to say that a set of three single coil pickups are $300 and that's an hour's worth of time, right? And then of course the parts and the parts I think are gonna put you, depending on how much you buy and how much bulk you're gonna put, I think you're gonna say, uh, I bet you it's like 40 bucks, maybe 50 bucks and I'm rounding up again. And that's including packaging. It's not very expensive. I think, um, with our pickups, I can't remember two humbuckers packaging, all that stuff, talking about raw materials. I want to say it's not a hundred dollars. So then I'm charging basically $200 for the time, but the time isn't the factor. It's like I said, it's what's obviously what I can be doing in that time, but also how many can I physically make? Because obviously to make $200 is nice, but 
you know, $200 isn't going to really pay a whole lot of bills. So you want to make, you know, $2,000 or $20,000, right? That's going to pay some bills. So then it's like, how many can I, you know, I'll make a bunch. If I could make a thousand of them, that'd be great. But if I can only make a hundred, you see how that's, so the, the reality is, the reality is that is how you kind of formulate what a pickup's worth. And some people will just be as lazy as to go, what does other people sell it for? And I'll just sell it for that. But I mean, Physically, I don't look at that way. The way I, I don't, again, I'm speaking more of myself because that way I don't have to, like, in, you know, bring out somebody else's stuff into into the air. You know, their laundry. I'm just airing my laundry. Uh, for me, it's about how many pickups can I make in a year, and then what do I want to do for all the time that goes into maintaining a website, maintaining you guys, making sure they get shipped out okay, make sure those okay, you know, right, testing them. You know, uh, obviously the years of experience that I put into this, what value does that have? So essentially that's where I come up with the pricing on my hand-wound pickups. And a lot of people are going to kind of follow suit with that. Um, my, of course, long-term plan, which is happening as we speak, is I'm going to have someone make a limited edition run of them um, to, to feel the belly of what I think the market will, will handle for what I have been selling. So in my mind, there's a lot of you that would like to own a set of pickups because maybe we have this relationship or maybe you're interested in why why I like them so much or why I make them or why they were in the great guitar build-off guitar or why they're in most of my guitars. And But also $300 doesn't save a lot of money and you can buy a lot of great things for $300. I mean, think of this. In pickup world, you can buy bare knuckles, you can buy Sirs, and those have really powerful brands behind them. But even though, and those for a value proposition of the brand is a much better deal than what I'm going to do or what's, you know, Bob Jones does in his basement in Nebraska, you know, winding his pickups. But at the end of the day, it, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be a number that makes sense. So I really feel like, um, I really feel like I think, uh, uh, I can get that price down and make you something really, really cool. But to answer your question, why are they so expensive? There's no real, there's no way way to get there off of just the logic of this is what it costs to make it. And then this is the price of it. There's no, like it costs a hundred dollars. So they sell for $200 or it costs 50 bucks and we sell for a hundred bucks. It's, you got to factor in all those other costs and heaven forbid, if you have any employees or overhead of buildings and stuff, which I've always had in the past, but I don't have those now. Thank God. I don't have, uh, I have employees, but I don't have building overhead. I don't have that stuff. So, so there you go. Uh, somebody says, have you seen the Wilkinson kits? Sure. You can understand like Trav Wilkinson, I've told you is, is, is a great guy. I've, I've talked to him many times and he's fantastic. And, um, I like his guitar kits. I like his bridges, I like his stuff. And, and again, I tell you guys all the time, you can get uh, great stuff for a, a price. And Trav Wilkinson's one of the companies I would say, check out his pickups, check out his uh, kits, check out his bridges, parts, tuning keys. They're really good. So especially for the price. There you go. I hope that helped. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that answers any questions. They're expensive because they are. That's kind of feel like that's what I kind of said, but hopefully with more detail. Uh, Cappy C says, hey, no question. Just want to say Merry Christmas. Thanks for the solid advice this year. Hey, thank you so much for, for being here in the Super Chat. I see everything twice says, happy Festivus. <laughs> I noticed that like my amp much, wait, I notice I like my amp much less at gigs when it's on stage on a stand versus on the ground. That's a lot of people. Sure. Uh, seems like more than just the direction of the sound. Does it really matter or am I being crazy? Well, do, do think about the person who built and designed that amplifier, right? Um, one thing you have to factor in is they may have factored in 
it being on the ground. I mean, that's, that's not an exaggeration, especially when you're talking about combo amplifiers, not so much head and cabinet amplifiers. In other words, it's still, it's still thing then, but combo amplifiers, a big deal. They may have calculated in the design that you would get so much bass resonance from the ground, you know, from being on the floor and they set up the amp. So, I mean, first of all, you, you have to understand if you're going to put your amp on a stand versus on the ground, you're not going to have them set the same way. So I would imagine if you set up the amp and it sounds good and you pick it up off the ground, and this is pretty much any amp, pick it up the ground, put it on a stand, you would have to be aware of the fact that you're going to have to adjust some of the EQ, some of the overdrive, some of the settings on the amp to compensate for the difference of not only is it pointed towards you, that's a huge part, but also off the ground. But also understand that no matter probably what you, what you do, you probably can't put in a lot of the fullness, the full sound, right? A lot of the bass, um, that you were getting off the ground. And one of the problems, and depending on your amp, some amps do not react well to the EQ system and EQ, EQ, I'm sorry, EQ tone stack. What I mean by that is you take it off the ground and you crease the bass that changes the sound in a very negative way. Some amplifiers, for instance, the more gain you get, the more low end frequency you get. So here you are on off the ground. You may want to crank the gain a little bit to get more low end and it's flubby and it doesn't sound the same. So my, my thought is, is there is, there is a other option, which is you don't have to put it on a stand. You can tilt it back. So there's all kinds of stands that are just designed to let you tilt it, or you can get those two arms and put them on the sides of an amp and you can tilt it like, you know, like the twins do and stuff. Um, sometimes you may not want to get it off the ground. You may just want to tilt it at you just a little bit. So the speakers uh, a little bit tilted at you. Another option, which is a lot more work is you can always have your amp on the ground and it has the ability to go to an external cabinet, put a smaller cabinet up on a stand as a monitor. And that's really nice too. That's a nice option because now you have this monitor and you have the amp and between the two, you should be getting the sound you want. Those are my suggestions. Brad Guitar Miller says, took your advice you gave me earlier this year about the PTM guitar business using socials and partner with Texas Toast Tele products. Doing great. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. If you guys know Brad, uh, Brad Guitar Miller makes um, the aluminum, uh, aluminum for those overseas, the aluminum uh, fret rocker that has the rounded ends on it. Uh, so it's a lot little nicer if you're worried about dropping one and hitting the body of the guitar. It doesn't doesn't have that sharp end. And it's aluminum. It's a little lighter, which is nice. You know, you don't have this big heavy weight that you have to worry about. So he makes those. Um, I'll put a link when I do the index. I'll, I'll find his uh, link and put it to him. So obviously you can follow him on Instagram too. <laughs> I know the anti... Look, I know, like I said, please understand. If you don't like Instagram, don't worry about this. Like, like I said, just like everything. If you don't want to subscribe and you just want to watch, do that. If you don't want to like and you just want to watch, do that. It's just, you know, like I said, I'm just happy everybody's just here. I'm just happy to be doing this. So I just talk about this stuff because this is the game that we are in. I'm in the business of like and subscribe. So I got to say it. It's a it's the due diligence of being in a environment of business of this. But so I always, basically what I'm saying is when I bring up the Instagram, when I bring up uh, Patreon, when I bring up like and subscribe, you know, please, if it's does if it doesn't apply to you, don't worry about it. Don't ever go like, oh man, he's going to talk about that stuff. Just if you do it, I appreciate it. If you don't, I don't care. Justin says the bad cat, black cat are the amplified nation combo. If price isn't consideration, why? As, as thank you for being awesome. Oh, oh also all he said, also always thank you for being awesome. Uh, 
So you didn't say what Amplified Nation amp. Remember, they're all different. So I'm assuming you mean the uh, Overdrive Reverb amp because that's the one I reviewed. I have another one uh, that I'm re reviewing right now uh, from Amplified Nation. Um, and that one, I I can't say, I, oh, I can. I can say I like the new one that I'm reviewing from them better or more. I like it more. It's not better as an amp. I like it more. But it's not it's not because it's better. I just like it more. It's like kind of like the bad cat. When I did the um, uh, when I did the year in review and I said the bad cat was kind of like my favorite and the Amplified Nation was second favorite. It was I think uh, hopefully it was, it was conveyed that one of the reasonings for that was they were both fantastic amps. It wasn't like one was better than the other. It's just one does more things. So I kind of appreciate that. To me, the bad cat black cat is a universal amp. It does metal. It does rock. It does blues. It does clean you know, it has the tremolo thing. It has the reverb thing. It just does it all. So it's a, it's a one-stop shop kind of thing. And it does all those things really well. The Amplified Nation amp, the Overdrive Reverb is a, it's just a magical amp that does this one thing great, <laughs> right? Which is uh, this big, huge sound, clean overdrive sound where if that's what you want for blues or rock. Um, the one I'm reviewing now, which, so if you're thinking about getting one, you might want to wait is because it's a different animal than the other one. The other one's a Dumble clone. This is the Amplophonics and Gain. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, and uh, it is, uh, if you watch the interview I did with Taylor Cox, it's the one I got excited about in the interview when he was talking about different amps. This one is based on the Fender Basement Head. So it has that big, clean, and it has a master volume on it, so it basically gets overdrive and he added reverb. So to me, I was like, oh, well, I love the Fender Basement amp, and a master volume and a reverb sounds like a really cool thing, because the master volume really gets it into that more of the Marshall, because remember, the Marshalls came from the basement, and then reverb is just like always the nice kind of feature. So it's something like that. But um, if money wasn't a consideration, uh, you know, and you and of those two amps, if you're going to look at those two combos, which would I get? Uh I, I would still probably get the bad cat, but keep in mind, because again, I'm not telling you what to do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like, you should get the bad cat. I'm saying if given the choice between those two amps, where would I pick? I would still pick the bad cat, but keep in mind, it's not because I think the bad cat sounds better than the Amplified Nation. I just think the bad cat can do more things. And for me, in my situation, doing what I do, having versatility is, uh, is a quality that sometimes I need. If I was an artist, like if I was in a band making music or if I was writing an album or looking for my signature tone, I might actually say, say the Amplified Nation for me, because to me, it's like, I would have this great sound and I would just, I would love it, but that's not the thing. So I have to think about it in my context, which is like, I need to demo this metal guitar. I need to demo a blues guitar. I need to demo, you know, uh, a, you know, a pedal, you know, what can do all those things? That's why the, the bad cat's more versatile for me. Uh, Waterford Giant. Oh, by the way, thank you. That was a huge super chat, super chat, super chat, super chat. That's the, that's the Christmas super chat for sure. Hey, this is Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and other holiday greetings. Uh, thank you for all those things. I always like it when you say Merry Christmas and other holidays too, because I like, I like saying Merry Christmas, but also I like acknowledging that everybody isn't going to say Merry Christmas, right? It's not Merry Christmas, not for everybody, obviously. But there's something great about saying it. I don't, I like saying it to people and I don't even know why. <laughs> uh, it says, thank you for another great year and info and have fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate that too. All right. On that note, please go have some fun. Enjoy yourself. Play some guitars. Spend some time with friends or family as always. And until next week, uh, thank you for your time and know your gear.